All right, welcome back to the Like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ward, and this week we are welcoming Amy Donaldson Brass to the show. Amy is a sports writer in Utah and just a wonderful sports writer. I've read some of her articles, they're excellent. The Desiree News, and I'll find the actual website. Oh, it is DesireeNews.com. <laughs> um, and Amy ran the Desert Rat stage race with me uh, earlier this summer. And so I reached out and I was, you know, I put together a few, I put together a few episodes of stories from fellow racers in the Desert Rats race. Uh, one's out right now. You can check that out. That's number 101. Uh, and then the next one I'm going to put out next week um, with, you know, it's kind of a cool con- congregation of five other racers uh reports from this huge event because i mean it was six days it was a week in the desert together uh everyone had their own special adventure along the way and i definitely want to highlight him highlight them and share share people's stories because everybody there was an incredible athlete including amy and and her sister uh which you'll hear about in the show today um so anyways i reached out to amy and i said hey i'm doing this uh, you know, what I, I don't even remember what I called it. Stories, <laughs> stories from my fellow racers. Um, do you want to come on and share, you know, a 20 minute story or so? Cause I know they had kind of a interesting tale to tell from day two. Uh, and we started talking and she, her, the story she tells is easily one of my favorite things I've featured on the podcast so far and she started talking and I'm sitting there and I'm fascinated I I can't remember why I think I was looking for good internet service but I was sitting in my daughter my four-year-old daughter's room sitting there fascinated um, by the stories Amy Amy was telling and one thing led to another and an hour (laughs) and 15 minutes later you know I sat there and just thought to myself man we just recorded one of the best episodes of the show so far. Um, So, and I think honestly, I think a lot of this is owed to the fact that she was completely open about her, her thoughts and her, not only the physical battles they went to, because she will share a lot of, a lot about the physical battles, but like the mental and the emotional battles that she went through during this race and her sister went through and how they helped each other and how much it meant to them to to finish you know how much it meant to them that day six pulling in pulling into moab so um i really hope you guys enjoy this there's a lot in this conversation about what it means to really push yourself and i mean really push yourself to do something that you're not sure you can complete and there's a lot in here too about are you living up to your actual potential and doing something that you're not sure you can finish uh which i found fascinating and very interesting and something we can all apply to our lives um so yeah, so I want to thank Amy for coming on and being so open. I loved the interview. I loved hearing her stories because like I said, we all went through this. We all became very close during the race, but you still don't really truly know what the other people went through and what days they might have hit their rough spot and how they overcame their 
the challenges that they were faced with. Um, so, so yeah. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy this episode um, with Amy. Check out Desiree News. Um, she's written a couple articles about the Desert Rats that kind of also go into some of the themes that we talk about on the podcast. So uh, I will link them with or in the show notes so you guys can check those out. Uh, if this is your first Like a Bigfoot podcast episode welcome welcome to the show uh we got a lot on here um we're in the 100s now for our episodes so feel free to go back look through this is what i do with podcasts like if i discover a podcast and this 100 episodes in and i like it um or i find it interesting i'll go back and look through the various guests that we had um and i think i relate a lot to Amy, because we we're talking beforehand about like, I, lo- I just love the stories of athletes, the stories of sports and the stories of adventure. Um, there's not necessarily one theme that we really focus on or one type of sport or one type of adventure uh, because I, I, I want to hear it all. You know, if I stuck with just talking about running every single show, I would probably burn out on on talking about running. So we have everything from bikepacking uh climbing up everest uh college football um heading like preparing to go to the south pole that was one of my favorite ones because just wrapping my head around that is a nearly impossible task um you know all sorts of different stuff so go back check through our catalog of episodes i bet you'll find something you like uh the desert rat stuff there's been a bunch um and i hope you guys have enjoyed them i enjoyed recording them and obviously i truly and completely enjoyed the experience of doing the race uh so much so that i'm signed up for next year uh because apparently i wanted to see if i could do it if it's even hotter (laughs) because i'm just i'm just gonna assume next year will be like 20 degrees hotter or something like that um so yeah check those out episode 100 was my race report 101 was some stories from the other racers so they definitely relate to uh amy's amy's story here so all right cool let's get into it this is the like a bigfoot podcast number 106 with amy donaldson brass Oh, thank you. Isn't I mean, I'm always just like, isn't that what ultra racing is? <laughs> it kind of is, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I, although I think uh, that's the way I cover all racing. Yeah. All. <laughs> I mean, that's what I like. That's what I like about sports. Well, me too. That's, I mean, and that's why I loved your articles so far. I'm like, this is the best part about sports is, mm-hmm. you know, I, you could throw at me golf and I don't care one thing or another about golf, but if you tell an interesting story about someone yeah. who's playing golf, like I'm totally in. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, so what, did you want, what did you want for me? Did you want to hear about Tuesday? Let's. <laughs> that was, my favorite part about that was how different your Tuesday was from mine. And it wasn't, there were aspects of it that were the same, but um, uh, I thought it was really interesting, too, like on Thursday, because I felt really good Thursday, too. Yeah. But for me, it was, I was so happy to have company, and I, anytime I was alone, I was, like, desperate for someone to catch me, or, because I run a lot by myself. I have some guys I run with, but, um, and so for me, I just find I get, 
I hate being inside my own head too much. Yeah. Um, so I just definitely had a different strategy on Thursday, and uh, it just was interesting to hear about your because I would love to know if everybody kind of did the same kind of thing. Yeah. Know, like, well, and you know what's on that, on that you know what's really funny is I talked to Mickey yesterday, and okay. he just said that when on Tuesday specifically when he ran into you was his absolute high moment of the race because he just so desperately wanted to see another person at the time. And it's really yeah, funny. Did, to, it was weird because we didn't know each other. Yeah. And that was the exact same thing. I knew he was behind me. I had given him some ginger candy earlier in the race. And maybe you want to save this for the interview. I don't know. But I was like, it. I can't even tell you. Like, it was like I just found my one true love. Like, it was like, oh, thank you, God. <laughs> you know? It was so, I was so happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And it, uh, you know, un, unreasonably, irrationally, like disproportionately happy <laughs> just to see him, you know? Yeah. And I can't, like people who haven't been in that situation are not going to understand it because they're like, who's this guy? And I was like, I couldn't even have told you his last name at the time. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. <laughs> you know? It does. I actually, I started recording like a, a couple minutes ago. When you, oh, okay. So, so you or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but it was, like, I... I, I, you tell me what you need from me and I will take you there. All right. Well, let's hear about it. So you came out as part of a sister trip. And so I'm assuming your sister, Mikey, talked you into this thing. So Mikey did it last year and she actually was talked into it by a friend who then decided not to run her. I think she got hurt. I can't remember. And we were all very concerned about her doing it last year alone because it sounds horrible, right? 150 miles. And I'm not much of an ultra runner. I've done a few 50Ks, I think three or four 50s. And for the last couple of years, there's one 50 miler in particular that has just had my number. So I failed at it. My first DNF was in that race. My second DNF was in that race. And it just felt like I was never going to be able to finish it. But I kept signing up because, you know, how it is. But um, so my sister said to me, you know, will you please do this race with me because I want to go back and finish and I said to her I just don't think I could do it and so I put it off and kind of avoided it and she just kept nagging me um and this is how I got suckered into doing my first marathon also uh same same sister <laughs> and she's actually a really talented runner she has been her whole life but um she's always put her life before this and it's just the last few years that she's actually kind of given herself permission to see what she's capable of in the sport. Um, so it's been fun to see. She's won a hundred miler about three weeks before desert rats. And I've never won anything. I'm a terrible runner. I, uh, find myself quite often just looking for somebody else to write about or talk to. I just flip into storyteller interview mode. (laughs) I ask a question and let people distract me with their stories. Right. But it's, I've really come to find it very inspiring and uplifting. Um, and so that I thought, she kept saying, well, there'll be so much to write about, you know, and she's telling me stories from last year. So she actually DNF'd the very first day. She got heat exhaustion and had to be taken into a truck and cooled down for a couple hours. So she missed the cutoff. And then on expedition day, which is day four, the long day, she just quit halfway through. And I think it bothered her for an entire year that she just quit, that she just said, I'm tired, I don't want to run. And 
that was why that was the setup for what happened this year. <laughs> so she was like on revenge mode. She's like, I'm getting revenge on this race. Well, she just said to me, um, I don't know, because you know, running with my sister has never been running with her. She's fast. We run. We run a bunch of races together. I see her at the start. I watch her go off into the race crowd. And then I just meet people and talk to them, and then I see her at the finish line. <laughs> um, we don't run together unless it's training because she's too fast. And um, and so even my dad said, my, my parents were kind of worried that I was doing this now, and they said, because uh, Mikey had had such a tough time last year, uh, and they know I'm the worst runner, they said, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm uh, she's the kind of, I always say this, you know how they say cats will only eat until they're full? Yeah. The dog would eat itself to death. Yeah. I think my sister's the dog and I'm the cat. <laughs> I I would quit long before danger. She would run herself to death. Yeah. And so they were like, well, maybe it'll be better because Amy won't. But my dad said, you know, she's going to leave you. You're not ever going to see her. You're just going to be camping with her at night. And so that's kind of what I was planning on. I would see her in the mornings and then I would see her at the finish lines or at camp. If I, my goal, honestly, was finish day one and start every day yeah because i didn't i honestly did not think i was capable of more than that and and i didn't even know if i was capable of that so she had described day one to me and i was so terrified of day one that for me the anxiety was unlike anything i've experienced before it was it was, it was pretty significant because i don't care because i'm not good and i'm not going to win yeah but I just don't want to die either. How, how did she describe day one? So obviously she had a rough time the year before, but like what specifically did she say about it? Just that, you know, be prepared for this extreme heat, um, that we were definitely going to get wet when we got to the river, um, that we just had to keep moving. Even if you're sick and puking and you get disoriented, you just keep moving. This is what she kept saying to me. And I was like, this does not sound like something we should be doing. Like, I can think of a thousand things we should do first. You know there's beaches where we can just sit on the beach and, like, on a relax. Exactly. I said, look, I got a thousand places I'd like to see before I die disoriented puking of heat stroke, right? <laughs> so that's what she – and she doesn't do well in the heat. Like, she ran Boston this year, and she did amazing because it was, like, the coldest year. Yeah. In years. <laughs> that rocks. Yeah, she's from Alaska. She just, uh, you know, she loves she she loves that cold weather. I don't like I like about seventy degrees and you know, pretty scenery and not too much challenge. That's my favorite course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was really beautiful. She said it's really pretty, and she knows I'm a sucker for that. The sucker thing is the the pretty scenery and the great stories. Yeah. So, um, but I was so nervous. I really didn't talk to anybody else, and she stayed with me. And she would basically, um, you know, hustle up the hills, and I would try really hard to keep her in sight. And then we would run the flats downhill. I actually run downhill better than her because I live in Utah by the mountains. Um, so I would I would smoke the downhill because that's the only advantage I had. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that, and I, I'm normally not bothered by heat, but but I I got a little I got a little toasty there, and about. Maybe, I don't know how long that dirt road is, but it's maybe four or five miles from the end. Um, and that's actually the first time I ran into Mickey. We saw him up ahead, and we caught him, which is unusual for me to catch anyone. Um, and he said he wasn't feeling too good. But Mikey had this uh, 
like a, I don't know, what's the, like a drink mix that she uses. It's called Accelerade. Okay. And it has, it has protein in it. And I don't take anything like that because I only, I just only use real food because I hate any kind of, I hate goo. I hate tailwind. I don't like any Gatorade. I don't like any of that stuff. It just makes me sick. So probably because I'm not a real athlete, but I just said, I'm just going with the, straight water, I'll do some salt tablets and real, I eat baby food or actual food. And so I got really sick and I said, look, I'm feeling sick. You're just going to have to leave me. And she said, no, drink my Accelerate. So I did. And within 10 minutes, I felt much, much better. Yeah. <laughs> and then we had, I don't know if you remember, but headwind on the first day was pretty, pretty brutal yeah. normally, but it was also cooling us down. And I felt like that turned out to be kind of a blessing to have that headwind. And I got to camp and I felt really good and we I think our time was like five and a half hours or five hours and 40 minutes for 20 miles and you know I I felt super accomplished and great about it I everyone at camp the first night at camp was super fun um and it was really windy so it wasn't a but I thought you know this will be this will be okay but I thought you know from now on it's all gravy all I have to do is start every day and give it my best and um, and I think the thing I learned from that is that if you set a crappy goal, you're going to achieve it. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I mean, it's, that was a stupid, that was a cop out. And I really didn't realize it until I had a conversation with Glenn, the photographer, you know, Reed's brother. Yeah. And it actually wasn't, he wasn't saying it to me. I think I mentioned this in my second column. He said it to my sister, but you know, he, he said something to her about me doubting myself. And I think. I have a lot of time to think about it. It was on Thursday, that 43-mile day. <laughs> um, and that's when I started thinking, you know what? Like, you you only ask things of yourself that you know you can accomplish. And that's kind of, that's a really crappy way to live your life. And I, I think that was probably my, my biggest takeaway. And I got that also from my 50-miler that I finished. I actually did finish that race a few weeks ago. Or two weeks, right? It was actually two weeks before... Uh, before this race, and um, I think I didn't realize what a coward I was until these last three weeks. Yeah, <laughs> I would think if you if I had to describe myself to people, I would say, "Oh, I'm game for anything. I'm up to any challenge." And I think what I realized was, in reality, I was only taking on challenges that I knew I could accomplish. Yeah, and it's just a it's a really kind of a it's a sobering reality to to look at yourself and say, you know what, you're not being brave. You know, and you, and if you want to be brave, you got to start doing, you got to start asking of yourself and setting some goals that you might fail at. And that's for me just a terrifying proposition. Who wants to fail, right? Yeah. Not, not me. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. That was, so that was Tuesday. Like, I'm sure a lot of, a lot. Yeah. A lot of people can relate to that though. Cause I know I can too. I mean, and that was something really cool about this race was, on day three is when I realized like, Oh, I can do better at this than I initially thought. Cause I, I was definitely scared going into about the first couple of days. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And they had warned us. They had said, if you get through the first three days, you, you probably will finish. Yeah. But I'll, I'll tell you what. Um, and, and we'll finish talking about Tuesday first, but the most miserable day for me was Saturday. Really? And I was so shocked because, Everybody just talked about that like it was some kind of reward, yeah. and I—that I, is as close as I have ever come 
well, two times I can think of in my racing life where I would have failed had it had it been possible. Yeah, I would have quit. But you know, you have to get yourself to the aid station. Yeah, you know, that's in the, in in the ultra running. Quitting is really really hard. Yeah, <laughs> you quit and then you still have six miles to go. <laughs> yeah, and then you're like, now I'm a quitter who's still in pain. Yeah, you quit because you want to be out of pain. You want the pain to stop. Yeah. You know, and it and it doesn't stop. Then you have different pain, and you still have your physical pain, <laughs> the humiliation pain. You know, so so Tuesday, um, she had warned me that it was flat or pretty exposed. It was pretty windy, but I actually felt good for about the first. I'd say every day for the first eight to ten miles, I felt like a million bucks, and then I felt like a million bucks that got run over. And, Center grinder, and <laughs> um, but there was no escaping the heat for us. We took a wrong turn, um, so we we ran a little extra, not a lot, maybe a mile and a half extra. But you know that's a mental blow to people who are not, you know, who are already close to not. You know that cutoff time is going to be challenging. The cutoff, like you said, was really aggressive, um, and they changed it so what we thought we had was not the case. And then they gave us a. Uh, per minute, minute per mile kind of average. Yeah. That turned out to be incorrect. So, you know, and I'm terrible at math. I didn't double check it. I did the rest of the time, but not that day. And so I felt like, um, I, I just felt like I just mentally was in the, in the doghouse all day. Like I didn't ever feel like, I didn't ever feel you get into a race, there are bad times, there are hard times, there are great times, there are you know, times where you you go, oh my gosh, has it already been three miles, right? You, I never had that. I never got into a rhythm. I never felt good. I just felt like I was constantly looking for shade or an escape, you know, some kind of escape. Or my sister was telling me to eat, and I didn't want to eat the whole day. Uh, it was it was just tough. And then out that butte, I was like, this is, this is yuck. I hate it. Right. <laughs> and the, the view at the top was the prettiest view all day. It's the only decent view. And then you run through that sagebrush where there's no shade, but they have, I don't know how it was for you guys because you're a little faster than me, but in the heat of the day, that was just alive with desert insects. Yeah. And they were like flying at you and making noise and almost, I felt like they were jeering me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was about, at that point, my sister was, she'd run like, I don't know. 400 yards ahead of me and she'd yell back come on we gotta keep this pace or that pace and it started to like make me want to stab somebody so I <laughs> got close enough to her to say just do your pace and I'll meet you at the aid station because I felt like I was getting to a really bad place so and you I mean anybody who has siblings knows that they're, you have to be nice to strangers but you don't have to be nice to your siblings so she went ahead on that stretch and I just prayed for Mickey to catch me because we had seen Mickey earlier in the day we had um, run with him a little bit he wasn't feeling well still from yesterday from Monday yesterday see I'm stuck on that day um, and uh, so I had given him some ginger candy he said it immediately made him feel better so I gave him I left him with my candy at the second aid station because he was also sick there and so I was just hoping that he had they told one of the aid station workers went ahead and then Reed came by his bike and they told me he had continued so I was hoping he would catch me that I could have someone to run with 
who wasn't like my sister, filmed like a million bucks, and, you know, going to take the world by storm. So, so I, but by the time I got to the aid station, I think there were two people behind me. One of them dropped right after me, right after I got there. And then um, Mickey came in, and they were telling him, you know, hadn't gone to the bathroom all day. They were saying, you got to stay here. you got to drink. you got to cool your body down. So I wasn't sure he was going to continue. And so I left with my sister, and she was telling me the strategy on that asphalt was run like a half mile, walk a quarter, run a half mile, walk a quarter. And she might as well have said, you have to run a marathon <laughs> and, you know, eat a bowl of ice cream. I, there's no, I just said to her, I can't do it. And I, she kept saying, you've got to be positive. And I'm like, it's not about positive or negative. It's about possibility. And these legs cannot do that so I'll do what I can and you have to do what you can meet me at the aid station and she took off and Jean-Michel was with her he was a little bit ahead of her and they stayed together most of the block of the asphalt um but I lost sight of them because I couldn't keep up with them and it just zapped everything out of me to be on that hot road and by the time I hit the dirt I knew I was in trouble and I was like I I, I think I had like two hours to get to the next aid station and I don't know what that mileage is right there I think it's around five and a half or six miles and normally totally doable on that terrain but it, it just felt like I wouldn't even make it a mile and so I just started saying stop thinking about the aid station and stop asking stop looking on your on the, the Gaia app stop looking at the map just worry about not getting heat stroke and keep moving, like she said, right? And then I literally just prayed, like, almost relentlessly. I'm sure if there, if God was listening, he was so annoyed because it was the whiniest, beggingest, you know, please, please let Mickey catch me. Because I knew he was the only one still running. And so I just, I just was desperate to be out of my head. And uh, I, I just can't even express to you how, uh, how just desperate I felt, you know, just this cleaving. And at one point I took, you had a little cooling towel, so did I, and it was bone dry, and I laid it down on the ground underneath a little bush. <laughs> I was casting a slight shadow, and I laid in that, and I closed my eyes, and I thought, I can't go to sleep. I feel like you could feel the pull of sleep and fatigue, but I thought, don't, don't sleep, because you don't know, you know, you don't want to go to sleep in this weather and you know um just drink and get cool and relax and and quiet your mind stop feeling like this is a you know you know the worst thing you've ever done you're gonna be fine you'll get to the aid station you have to make the cut off but it's okay and so I drank some water and I started singing to myself and reciting poetry and next thing you know Mickey comes walking around the corner and I Literally, I, I almost hugged him. I was like, oh, <laughs> God, thank you. Yeah. And I don't, it just, like, I've always known I'm a pack animal. <laughs> it's interesting because I'm not in a joiner. I'm not in a bunch of clubs or anything. But uh, I do belong to a veterans group, and, and, and he is uh, an Air Force. And my nephew, interestingly, just graduated from Air Force Base to training. Um, but I, so, but we had some things in common, and but we just talked. And we, you could tell we were both, like, just, Tell me about your family. Tell me about your kids. Tell me about your dog. Tell me about your cat. You know, yeah. whatever to get us through. And to it, somebody came out, one of the 
Uh, it was Lorenzo, I think. He brought out some cold water, which I spilled all down the front of me. Um, but, uh, and we asked him, we, well, first we saw Tyler. We asked him. He said, oh, it's just over the hill. We go over the hill, no aid station. Then we see Lorenzo, um, and he says, oh, it's like a mile. And so we both look at each other like, oh, you've got to be kidding. Because it, just, I just, the, I think my first problem is when I talked about just sort of the relentless, um, he, you just, you just thought, there's just no way I can do this. But I told him, I told Nikki, let's stop asking because whatever it is, we have to get there. Like there's not, it doesn't matter if it's a mile or 10 miles. We have to walk there. There's no option. So it was just stop asking. And so then we just started chatting again and we got to the aid station and, and um, my sister's there and I was shocked. Four, at this time, five ten. The cutoff, as you know, is three thirty. And I said, um, you know, what are you doing here? And she was clearly not hundred percent. And she just told me that she had been fine on the asphalt, but about a mile in, Jean Michel went ahead of her, and she just sort of lost steam. And so she had really struggled, but she had gotten there. I think she said they said four twenty, four thirty, something like that, and. She was just trying to recover. So she thought she would wait for me, and then I would go with her. And I said, we missed the cutoff. We're done. And she said, no, I'm not. I'm going the whole, I'm doing every mile. And I'm like, I'll get emotional about this. But I said, uh, I can't. I can't do 10 more miles. We were at 28 and a half. We had to go to 39. And I said, I just, I know I don't have it in me. And I don't want you to do it because I don't want you to die. Yeah. And she was clearly not, I don't know if you've seen people who have the exhaustion drunk, drunkenness or the heat drunkenness. I didn't know what it was caused by, but she couldn't tire her uh, bandana. She was, she picked her pack up and left her emergency kit. Um, she was just kind of out of it. And the only thing I can liken it to is if you've ever been around a drunk person who thinks they're going to go somewhere and they got one shoe on and they can't find their car, you know, why not? You know, you're like, you shouldn't be driving. You shouldn't be walking. You shouldn't be out in the state. And so I just, I'm her older sister and I know what my parents, I was like, I feel like I have to go with her to make sure she's okay. But I, I didn't feel like I was capable. And I was, I said to her, I can't go and I want you to stay. Just please stay. We already missed the cutoff. Please stay. And she said, I'm doing every mile. I came back. I'm doing every mile. I don't care about the medal. I don't care about the finisher's rock. I just have to do every mile. And I said, okay. And as I'm begging her not to go, I know she's going to go. So I was trying to cool her down. I poured water on her head. I wrapped up in those blanket things that were all wet. I got ice for her. I made sure she didn't leave her emergency kit. And they were laughing because I was doing this because it seems like a contradiction. But anybody who has kids knows this dilemma you feel of, I disagree with your decision. I don't want you to do it. But I understand that you're going to do it. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that you succeed at it. Yeah. And that's how I felt. was just, I didn't want her to go. I was terrified something bad was going to happen to her. The medical people said, look, we'll take care of her. We won't, we'll, nothing will happen to her. And um, all I could hear was like my dad in my head, you know, you better take care of her. You better you know, make sure nothing happens to her. But I knew in my heart that I couldn't go another 10 miles. 
I, I mean, maybe I could if I stayed there and rested for an hour or whatever, but I knew I couldn't have a cup of ginger ale and, and, and walk out with her. I couldn't do it. And, um, and she, she was going. So that's what happened. And then I was just wrapped with guilt for, I don't know, four and a half hours till she got back. Yeah. <laughs> and I put up our tent and made her a cheeseburger so she'd have food when she got back. And, um, and then I walked Damon, one of the medical guys who took care of her the year before. He said, Hey, I, I was here last year when she DNF the first day. I want to walk in with her. Meanwhile, uh, Scott and Jay were making the case for giving her a finisher's medal for that day because of the kind of confusion and changes in the time frame thing. And I never asked anybody for an explanation of why they ended up giving her a medal for that day. And maybe it was because she made it to the original cutoff and then, and, but, but she did miss the, you know, she was slower than the final cutoff. But as you know, as an ultra runner, anytime you miss a cutoff or you're in danger of missing a cutoff, you run a lot differently. Yeah. If you, as soon as I know I've missed a cutoff, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just in survival mode. Yeah. You know, you're not in race mode anymore. You're not in goal achievement mode. You're in, what do I have to do to get through this? And so I think they took that into consideration. I'm not sure. I don't think they gave her an explanation, but Mikey didn't do it for the medal. And and I knew that. They knew that. She was finishing. Cause she just wanted to tell. She wanted to know for herself that she could do every mile. And yeah. that's what she did. It was so, like, you two, because the rest of the week even, waiting for each other to finish and like being adamant like i'm not crossing the finish line until my sister comes in like that was it was i mean there were out of so many incredible things that happened like that was one that really stood out to me well you know it's an interesting thing because i know a lot of siblings and i and i have a lot of siblings there's six of us (laughs) (laughs) but i I think um the thing is we're very close in age we're 16 months apart when I was a kid, I was a very anxiety-ridden child. My dad was in the military. He was in Vietnam when I was little. Um, and, in fact, he was in Vietnam the night my sister was born on Christmas Eve. And um, and uh, somebody climbed through a rice paddy to put a radio next to his ear to tell him that he had another daughter. Wow. <laughs> which, which, by the way, my mother had to rename her because they disagreed on the name my mother had given her when my dad was gone. So. Oh. <laughs> She was supposed to be Holly, but now she's Mikey. <laughs> but, uh, but so, you know, for me, it was always having, Mikey was always a person to stand up for me. Um, she's always been more talented and more, I don't know, just sure of herself that way. Um, and it took me a long time to find my own, you know, I was a much more insecure person. and But I also am the oldest child i'm super protective of all my siblings and we're pretty tribal family uh you know we we are in each other's business and there's no hiding anything from anyone but also you're never without an ally in a war or argument (laughs) or whatever yeah somebody we none of us have ever had to borrow money from anyone outside our family you know we take care of each other so that's my parents and my siblings and and even some of my extends to some of my cousins. So, um, so it's a it's a an interesting thing. But being that close in age, we shared so many tough tough things 
she's had a tough life. I've had a lot of challenges, but she's just, she's just an amazing person, and her resilience is, and, and determination, like, it's, it was inspiring to me. Like, I don't know what everyone else saw, but for me, I just saw, I couldn't let her down the rest of the week. Yeah. So, when she said, you gotta make this pace, I just made the pace, and she's like, on, 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 she was so nervous about Thursday. Thursday was her, kind of, everybody talked about those first couple of days, but for her, Thursday was her white whale, right? Because she quit. And she was really adamant. And I don't know if you knew that at the second aid station, Onion Creek, she got, um, she was a little sick again. She was a little out of it. And, and uh, but I felt really good. I had walked in with Glenn. I had had my bad moment and I felt pretty good. I knew I was getting blisters, but I sang to her, you know, that uphill all the way up where you get a great view of the of the valley. Yeah. About two miles, I sang really bad country songs. In fact, we saw Paul and Scott, <laughs> and they were, we were talking a little bit about Kenny Rogers songs. And <laughs> yeah. But I, that's how good I felt at that point, you know? And so we got to the top aid station, and she was full-on drunk again, telling all the medical guys, oh, I love you guys, you're so great. <laughs> 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 You're hugging everybody. Now's the time. And she's like, and I'm like, we have to leave this aid station. Because I knew if I was going to not disappoint her, I couldn't spend a lot of time getting comfortable. Because for me, there's a fine line between recovery and succumbing to fatigue, right? So she would kind of dilly-dally at the aid station. And I said, look, we got to go. And she's like, she would hold her hand up to me. just like, And she even found a drug. Just give me a minute. I need to enjoy this. <laughs> 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 and I was like, they don't want you here. We have to go. <laughs> oh, my God. That's like, so hey, funny. Do you do? And I was like, no. Everyone wants you to leave. We have to go. <laughs> <laughs> but I got her moving, and they put um, ginger ale in one of her water bottles because she, she couldn't eat. So she needed sugar, so they gave her ginger ale. And I'd say halfway through that bottle, she started, you know, all of a sudden she's like cruising the uphills and back to her normal self. And we ran into Phil, and uh, he had crashed pretty hard. He didn't eat lunch. And uh, that was the one thing I thought really became clear to me is I don't eat enough to fuel for something like this. Yeah. And and I learned from some of the other women, like you learned from Thomas, um, that you have to eat when you can eat. You have to, you, you just stop worrying. Like, well, I'm not hungry. Or, oh, it's not lunchtime yet. You know, it's not, this isn't normal. You're asking something extraordinary of your body, and you have to fuel it. And, um, and so I gave him my two bars. I gave him my two bars and kept my peanut butter. Um, and then, uh, they actually ended up taking a good picture of me in the sunset. So it was, it turned out to be nice. But, you know, Mikey and Jean-Michel, they just screwed up that uphill like it was nothing, that last uphill. Um, and, and that's when she left me. So I was with her through the aid station. We had noodles together. She was going to have like two cups. I'm like, you're having one cup and then you're out of here. Let's go. So I kicked her out of the last aid station. Yeah. And then she just. She was like a machine. She just turned into Terminator. And, and then I really struggled, and I wrote about it in my column. You know, running in the dark, I was like, why do I have to be by myself? Again, I don't like doing it. And I, and I have had these times in my life where I thought, 
I've done stuff by myself and I've been kind of bummed out that I don't have a friend or my mom doesn't live close to me or my, you know, my brother can't come do it with me or whatever. And I have this great family and they're all spread all over the country. And I, I, I do have a, I do have to say like, that's a little bit of like, everybody else can find someone to run with and a best friend and I'm all by myself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then John came and put his lights out for me for probably... Well, not a long time, half mile, but he chatted with me for a while, too, and and I just thought, you know, quit being a baby, and I had run, I had dedicated, just like you dedicated your day, I had dedicated my day to, to my girls, and our three girls, and and to uh, a little friend of mine who has a brain tumor, a little guy that I met through work, but I wanted desperately to be able to give him the medal from Expedition Day, and I, I kept thinking to myself, it's amazing what you can do for someone else that you are unwilling to do for yourself. Yeah. And why is that? Why is that? I don't, it is, it's like you have a purpose beyond your own selfish purposes. And it's yeah. that much more powerful. Yeah. I mean, it has made me think though about being kinder to myself and to, about, about saying, it's not a selfish thing to want to accomplish something like my yeah. kid where you run every single mile, you know? Yeah. Um, and that it, it, it was for me, I was there to support her and spend time with her. And I joked about, oh, I'm just going to join the A crew, but <laughs> you know, starting every day, like every day you're back in the mix. Like people don't understand, like even though I'm DNF officially, I ran 139 miles. Like it was not like this leisurely. Like oh well, I I flunked out the second day, so um, I don't know. <clears throat> but it, it has, um, you know, I think the conversation with Mickey and the conversation with Glenn were the two conversations I had that made me realize. <clears throat> excuse me. They, those two conversations made me realize more about myself <clears throat> than any of the time I spent by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh is really interesting what I don't know. Yeah, that's so true. It's funny cuz like it's a guy that you've never met before that week saying something about you that you respond to so much. Yeah. <laughs> or you know, I think I I've, I've thought to myself um Oh, I can't do that. Or, oh, I shouldn't say I can't do that. Or, <laughs> or I'm being realistic. Um, and I didn't, I didn't really understand the cost of doubting yourself until Glenn pointed it out. Yeah. You know, that the, what the price of that was that I would fail when I really wanted to succeed. Yeah. And, and I wouldn't even let myself have that desire. Like the cost was more than just, oh, I want this really bad and I failed. The cost was I never even let myself have that desire. And that desire is such a motivating and such a, um, it's such an awesome feeling, you know, to, to, to have a goal you love. And I've done, cause I've done it, but I, and it, and it really applies to me more so away from sports, you know, in some of the more, um, you know, professional goals of my life that I always thought I made choices or professional choices um, because it was, you know, what I wanted or because it was, you know, I was successful at it, I was good at it or whatever. 
but it made me question whether or not I did it because it wasn't, I wasn't going to fail. Yeah. You know? And so I think that was, that was the interesting thing was there's a couple of people who don't know me. And in those conversations, I started to really say, um, maybe you're not the person you thought you were. Maybe, um, in addition to not being as brave as you thought you were, maybe you have, you know, you have limited yourself in ways that, you know, you, you didn't know. I mean, I think that's the thing to kind of discover, um, that you've set yourself up for what you think is success and for, you know, not, not being constantly disappointed or whatever. Um, and, and you think that you're like challenging. I mean, I, definitely felt challenged that whole week you know every day every moment of every day was a challenge for me um but I think that um what I realized in those conversations was that the doubt is more expensive than I ever knew yeah. and so if I wasn't willing to let that go and embrace the possibility of failure then I wasn't gonna actually know what I was capable of yeah. And that's okay. I mean, that's lots of people make that decision, but um, it seems to me to be less of a life than it, I want. It's like it's limiting almost. Have you ever read? There's a book called The Icarus Deception by Seth Godin. No, I haven't. So the whole concept, it's like a business, whatever. It's like a mindset book almost, like a success mindset. Okay. But the whole idea is like the Icarus story is that he flew too too high like too yeah he was reaching too far and then crashed in the water but his whole point is like hey if you're flying too close to the water you're gonna crash too you know so it's like a lot of people just exactly what you're describing aren't they aren't necessarily reaching for what they fully and truly can accomplish yeah and i i think i think the worst part about it was that I have deceived myself, that I that I have convinced myself that I am Icarus. Yeah. That yeah. I that I had convinced myself. I'm not 49 years old. That I had convinced myself that I had lived a life where I had challenged myself, where I had gotten outside my comfort zone. Where, and I'm not saying I never have, but I've gotten as far outside my comfort zone as I was comfortable with. <laughs> Does that yeah. Make sense? yeah. Totally. Yeah. So if somebody said something to me the other day about, oh, I'm, you know, I'm running my first marathon and, and we were chatting about some, you know, do's and don'ts and stuff. And I remember the first marathon, because again, my sister talked me into running it, but my, my grandfather, who's since passed away, he called me at mile like 13 or 14. And I remember taking the phone call and he said, what are you, call, what are you answering your phone for in the middle of a marathon? And I said, I can't tell you how good I feel. Like, I didn't expect this. And I, that was the thing that blew me away about my first marathon was how I was just completely capable of it. You know what I mean? Like I thought, this is not, I just expected this horrible experience, sort of similar to Tuesday, Tuesday running. Yeah. <laughs> the second day of Desert Rat. That's what I expected in a marathon. And, you know, but, but then ever since then, you know, I've sort of convinced myself that there's always a challenge in the marathon. I mean, I'm, you know, there's some doubt about what will happen, even though there's not. And there's some doubt about how we'll feel, even though there's not. And, you know, I've even written about, like, mile 18 to 22 seems to be my stretch where I sort of struggle and have a lot of self-doubt or whatever. But but I really didn't, um, 
didn't ever, uh, until I signed up for my first 50, the fact that I was going to cross the finish line in the time frame required, like I've never been afraid of the cutoff. I've never been afraid of the sweep, you know? And, um, and, and I've had, I've talked to people about it since, and it is harder for people outside of endurance sports to understand the significance of that mindset because it is a completely different way of living your life if your, you know, embrace of discomfort is still without fear, yeah. right? Or without yeah. question. Like, you're like, yeah, I'm doing something different, so I'm not going But your failure is going to be tolerable. It's going to be palatable. You're going to be like, oh, I can I can handle it. It's not going to be the kind of failure where you've had to completely reevaluate your strategy, your life, your approach or whatever right or your capability which is what happened to me in that 50 mile race that I failed at two years ago and I didn't realize it but it caused my world to get smaller rather than bigger and it's just been the last I've had three challenges doing the 50 and finishing so making that cut off and then I climbed Mount Olympus here in Utah which I'd never made it to the top of and, you know, you don't realize that, too. Like, oh, it's just about the journey. It's not about the finish. And I hear that all the time, and I believe it to some degree. But sometimes it has to be about the goal. It has to be about the finish. And that's what was really fascinating to me about Desert Rep, is I missed one cutoff, right? Yeah. And I made every other cutoff. And and the one thing that the conversations with Mickey and with uh, – Glenn, and I think some of the conversations with my sister helped me with was that you can feel bad about a failure or feel regret about having failed and reevaluate and rebuild and all that stuff. At the same time, feel really confident, comfortable, and proud of the fact that even though I was officially a DMS on the second day, I ran three more days. Yeah. And I finished, I made every cutoff. And let me tell you, Saturday was for me the worst experience I've ever had. <laughs> what what specifically? Like you said, you're getting blisters on Thursday. Was it the blisters mm-hmm. or was it just the exhaustion? Um, I think it was uh, it was a lot of things. So I ran almost completely by myself. Okay. There was nobody to run with that day. My sister took off. She was she wanted to see what kind of time she could get that day, and I said, "Go for it," you know. So I saw her at the start. That was it. And then um, I was in the slow group, so I started earlier than you. Uh, was it a half hour or hour earlier? I can't remember. I think it was a but half so we, that day, maybe. Yeah, so we got to see everybody pass and stuff. But um, So I had to navigate myself. I had to make all my nutritional decisions myself. I I had developed blisters basically from Onion Creek. I, start, I realized I had blisters on the bottom, on the balls of my feet. And I developed this. A couple of years ago, I ran, I did uh, the Baton Death March, the Memorial March in White Sands, uh, New Mexico, and I had this, this is the first time I ever had it, on the balls of my feet, so it's a really weird thing, because you it just, like, for a couple of weeks after, you just can't wear shoes, and it hurts to do anything, um, so I knew that's what it was, and... I just got, I knew I had to get through. And it was kind of painful at the end. I felt it pop on that road down to the camp on Thursday night. Yeah. Um, but I, I I knew I had a day off. And, and on Friday, I didn't go to the beach. I stayed and I hung out with Ryan and 
got cool in the water. I took like three, you know, waterfall showers. And <laughs> um, I had heat rash the whole time, the whole week, which I never have had. And um, and so that pretty much resolved. I had the best day. I had hardly any heat rash. Um, and so, I mean, we joked about it, but I, my body was a mess. Like my backpack, my sister talked me to wear a tank top on Tuesday and it just cut up my back. It like scratched the crap out of my back and had these horrible scabs and they just taped over them. The medical people just taped over them. And so my back was torn up. I had, um, this heat rash from my hips and my ankles. And then I had these horrible blisters on the bottom of my feet. And, but I was in really good spirits for the marathon because everybody's like oh it's so fun it's so easy it's all downhill it's a great reward well it was, number one was not all downhill then <laughs> 6.3 miles up on a road that was crappy <laughs> yeah it was beautiful yeah. great view but i hate road running so that was yuck and uh and nobody nobody to talk to a couple times people passed me i would chat from for a minute but i couldn't keep up with anybody and then um, you know, immediately going into these descents, well, because I had these blisters, which the guys had popped, you know, they popped the other one on my right foot, the left one popped on its own, but they taped them. But every step, every landing um, was like a little knife sticking into my, the bottom of my foot. And it just got progressively worse. Wow. And what I didn't know that was happening, because by the end, by the out and back, um, which the out and back would normally, that would be my favorite kind of trail. There's a great view. It's a great downhill on the way back. Um, it's technical. It's locked. I love, it's just everything I love about a trail, right? The road stuff I hated. But because of where it was in the race, it wasn't like mile 16 to 19 or something, you know, or 17 to 20 or something like that. Um, but running back and jump every time I would hit my um, my foot, my the ball of my foot, it just, I felt like I was hitting rocks, and I realized I'm not even hitting rocks. It's just that painful. Wow. And so so then when I got back there, I, I was just talking to the guys who gave me a popsicle, and I started to feel sick. And then I was like, oh, great. Now I'm going to get heat exhaustion, <laughs> a job of horrible feet, and... Yeah. I'm in this bad headspace, and I got nobody to talk to, and I was, so I, I, Sue was really struggling that day, and so I, I was, like, walking, hoping she would catch up to me, but she did, she just didn't, and I was so terrified I wasn't going to make the cutoff, that I just kind of kept moving and running, and it was just, like, the most miserable final, I don't know what, a, what that was, five or six miles, but I was just in agony, my feet were just, uh, I didn't know but the blister had blistered underneath. So it's about the size of a silver dollar on the ball, right in between my big toe and the next toe on the ball of my foot. Now it's my entire ball of my foot. And the part that had already blistered was now bleeding. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And so, and then, and this is under tape. And then on the other side is just created another blister that turned into kind of a blood blister. So it was, um, excruciating it was really hot I was super bored and lonely and I just kept I didn't have a reason I was like I don't I'm not getting anything for this like my sister was like I'm running every mile because that's what matters I was like why am I doing this <laughs> it was funny that it came to me on the last day but I was like I, I don't understand why I'm doing this 
And it just was miserable until the end. My sister walked out uh, to walk back with me, and um, and I just try. I just like don't unload, don't unload, don't unload. And she's like, "Are you doing okay?" And I said, "No, I'm just really in a bad headspace." So tell me something. Tell me about your run. Do something different. And then I, I we were talking about the rocks that we picked up, and I kept my rock. Because I decided I'm going to give it to Lota, the mm. kid with the brain tumor. Yeah. And I just, because I thought, you know what? I hate today. Every bit of today I hated. But I thought he would trade me places in a heartbeat um, if he could. Yeah. If he out there struggling, suffering, whatever. Because it means you're, you're healthy enough to do it. And that's all, that's the only thing positive that I held on to that day. And, and then seeing everybody when they came in and going through, I mean, I, I cried. I mean, I cried at three, I've never, hardly ever cried in my life at a finish line. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and three of the five finish lines, I couldn't help myself. I was like, just felt like a big baby. <laughs> <laughs> I love the picture of you running through, though. Like, I, I saved some of them to my computer, not every picture, because there was so many but yeah. that was one yeah. i saved because it's everyone in a big tunnel and then you running through is so such an amazing picture it reminded me of phil's i don't know if you saw phil's on the thursday and night. phil's is the other one that i saved exactly <laughs> I, yeah and i and i thought of him when i was because i thought you know what he felt terrible i talked to him you know and to be that i mean he's good right like so he's good i can't imagine i'm always in the <laughs> I can't imagine like you're always good and then somehow you find yourself in the back of the pack and to stay positive and to find something good in the experience is really hard because yeah. people are like oh you did so good and you want to just like cry and tell them how crappy it was and how bad you did and how you're not good at this and and that is the part of you that is unkind. And that's the part of you that has been telling you not to do stuff that you might fail at. And that's the part of you that has been saying, if you do stuff and you fail, then you should quit because it's not worth it. There's no reason to do it and be DNF. And, uh, and I was surprised. So I didn't want to, you know, everybody's talking about signing up for this race again. And I was like, I don't want to. I don't have any desire. I don't have any... Any dragons, I think I always talk about dragons this way. I was like, I, I didn't come here thinking I could do it, and so I don't feel like I need to come back and prove myself. I want to do other stuff and see other places. And um, and then after the deadline for the, for the people to re-sign, you know, the re-up, I guess, yeah. <laughs> had passed, and I saw you guys, it's tempting because I loved everybody so much. It's so It was so fun to be like a reunion, but I... Um, you know, you have a family. I feel really guilty spending money doing stuff by myself sometimes. But um, I saw the list. My I think my husband sent it to me of everybody's times and order that they finished, and then it has me as a DNF. It doesn't say I ran 139 miles in <laughs> four or five days. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And I didn't realize how much that would bother me, right? Because <laughs> I didn't expect to finish. And so I was like, but that, that was the moment that the, sort of those conversations and my desire collided where I thought, 
you know what? You don't even let yourself want it. You're so afraid of failure that you pretend you don't care, that you don't want it. And that is the worst thing of all. Because one thing to go in there and say, I have this goal and not make it and be sad and disappointed, right? Because you let yourself believe it. You trained for it. You had this goal that you tried to embrace. It's a totally different thing to lie to yourself from the start gate. And that's what I was, that's what bothers me most. Yeah. About, oh crap, now I want to go back to it. Not because I want to run 150 miles again in the desert, because you guys are crazy for wanting to do that again, but because I don't want to lie to myself. Yeah. I want to admit that I want to finish every day. I want to make every cutoff. I want to have that rock, right? Yeah. And I didn't let myself want that because I didn't think I could do it. And I feel like that was the worst revelation to have. Yeah. You know? Because it is. And I, I think somebody said was the only thing that is truly painful is regret. You know, you're going to have failure, you're going to have heartbreak. You can have tough stuff, right? And you don't get to choose what shatters you. You only get to choose the ways in which you mend yourself or you figure out your world. But to have regret, you can't go back in time. There's no time machine. There's no way to fix it. And to know that I didn't even let myself daydream about finishing or want to finish, right? Yeah. Is it, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a pretty, like it's a punch in the gut for sure. It is, but. And, and it's, def, it's definitely something I plan to remedy. Yeah. Well, it's like, but getting the realization is going to serve you so much from here on out, you know? Oh, no. And I think had my sister not, um, and it, I think this is the way it is just in our lives, like, I, I listened to that, you guys pushing Thomas to the under 30 hours, right? Like, I think sometimes it takes other people and their influence to hold a mirror up to you so that you get a, a real picture of yourself. Like, you're supposed to know yourself. Like Paul said, I came to the desert to have this relationship with myself in the desert and, you know, I'm going to go inside and figure some stuff out. Well, I came there expecting the opposite. I came there expecting what he got, like, have these interesting conversations and find stories to write about and what I got was go inside your head and figure this out yeah and I mine was all about my own roadblocks right yeah. the ways in which I've made my world comfortable and tiny <laughs> yeah and how that makes me so sad because I don't want it to be comfortable and tiny I want to be huge and uncomfortable right yeah, yeah. and so I think that I will be really always grateful um for my to my sister um because she's the one that gave me this gift you know yeah. she said um you know so unlike anything i've ever done i promise and she didn't tell me any bad stuff she said, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> amazing and you know what we laughed and had so much fun like we were 16 years old again you know? um you, you know how that was it was just it, as an adult, there aren't very many times in your life where you have unfettered joy, where yeah. you're 100% consumed by happiness. And because there's always the world, there's always responsibility, there's always somebody else. You're super happy that maybe your husband's struggling or your kids are struggling or whatever, right? And so to just be 
happy and giggling and laughing and laughing until our sides hurt, you know, um, was just a gift, a gift I will treasure until the day I die. Yeah. That's so cool. That's so cool. I'm so like, you're amazing, first of all, and just your realizations it's so funny because we go through this experience with everybody and we feel really close but we also don't know what's going on in everyone's head through this and you know what i mean like what they're learning you don't you don't think like hey look at the brief emotionally yeah i mean yeah and you're processing it through your podcast and i do it through my writing yeah and i think that it's an interesting thing to like to process emotionally what you're dealing with. And I don't know if it would have changed the experience had we done this every day. You know what I mean? Yeah. If, like, everybody talked about it or whatever. Yeah, if we all said, hey, what, what, was your, what were you going through today or whatever. And, you know, <laughs> and you do have some of those mini conversations here and there. Um, and there. And honestly, <clears throat> you know, I think um, just the littlest things, like Sue giving me, I lost my salt tab. Um, gosh, in between the first aid station and the second on the long day. I lost my handheld and I had my felt tablets in it for easy access. And she gave me two of hers and it doesn't seem like a big deal. But, you know, when you're in that situation and you understand the value of something like that and you know you have 12 miles in between aid stations back to back, like then all of a sudden that takes on a totally different... I mean, it's like she gave me $1,000. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like... It, it, it's just so valuable. And it's also the act of compassion, you know, um, Glenn walking with me or, you know, it, uh, Amanda walked with me a little bit that day and we talked about her brother and, and my little friend, Bota. And at the end of the day, when I crossed the finish line, the first thing she did was come over and give me a hug and talk about that conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, and here's this amazing, amazing woman and runner. And, uh, you know, I just cherished every single one of those moments. Um, you know, Scott, when he came into the aid station with Paul at Onion Creek, he turned to me and said, like, you guys are doing so amazing. Like he, and I could tell he was kind of shocked, but also it was a really nice compliment. And I just thought, you know what? We are. Like, I feel great. Like, this is, this is what you want on your biggest, scariest day to feel like this. Like, I'm lucky. And, uh, and cause Paul was really struggling that day. And, um, you know, I don't know what, he, what he would say about how it would have gone if he didn't have Scott, you know? And it's just, I, I don't think we realize, I loved in your podcast when you said that on your vacation, it made you want to give every single person you came in contact with you the best of who you are. Yeah. And I, and I, I think, uh, that summed up for me this experience which was be, give, give every single person the best of who you are, including yourself. Yeah. Including you. Put yourself on the list. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I loved it. You're like choking me up over here. <laughs> <laughs> it's so well, that's, true. That's, I don't know if that's good or bad. Is it like, oh, no, that's so really bad. good. And I think yeah. it's, yeah. it's, it's why... I feel like I just I want to share everybody's story because I'm just like I want everyone to have this these realizations, you know, and it's you almost have to go through something difficult to have these, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think um, 
one of the things, and maybe it's because we do a form of art with it. So you're doing the podcast and I'm writing. But you know, I've, I've had these days, like, you know, everyone's had. I lost my keys in my car. I lost my bank deposit. I couldn't find my phone. And I was supposed to be going running at 1 o'clock, and I end up not even getting onto the trail until 4, and I'm super ticked off and annoyed and then I start running and it's hot and I'm running up a hill and I'm running into a headwind and I just start thinking about oh seriously this is how it's gonna go (laughs) (laughs) and then you turn around to go back in the direction and the wind shifts and you get a headwind on the way home too and I mean that is just life right (laughs) and and so when I'm writing I can kind of see the parallels but I think the thing that I kind of figured out throughout this process is that there is still a lot you're blind to, and that's why, you know, if you're a person who loves half marathons, and you do half marathons all the time, or you do marathons all the time, and you're a pretty skater, or whatever, you know, that's a super fun goal, and you do this, and you meet all those interesting people, whatever, but you should also, like, ask yourself once in a while, in your emotional life, in your work life, and in your physical life, I need to do something that I'm really, that I really want to do, but that I'm really terrified of. Yeah. Right, and whatever that is, I gotta figure that out, and um, and then be okay if it if it blows up, you know. And I think that um, I think for people who do these ultras, you're gonna have that experience accidentally, but you're just gonna come to a race that's gonna catch you off guard. You're gonna not know something about it, a race that is gonna you're gonna get lost, or you're gonna feel crappy or whatever. So that's the value of of the ultra distance, I think, you know, is that you, like you were talking about how you can only control your response to things. There's so much uncontrolled in that question in an ultra that you're almost guaranteed that it will bring you to your knees at some point in some way on some level, right? Yeah. yeah. And then, because I can run a marathon and have no revelation and just be like, that was just, you know, four hours of pain. <laughs> <laughs> or four hours of beauty, who knows, you know? But I can tell you that every ultra I've done, something unexpected has happened. Something I didn't plan for that has been like a smack to the face or a punch to the gut, right? And sometimes it's a really positive thing, and sometimes it's just really helpful in learning how to handle life and in this case it was really introspective about my own you know the ways in which I've created this life of smoke and mirrors to make myself feel better about not taking real challenges but like my sister and I were talking about this in one night in the tent you can't just like they say you can't lie to the seal you can't lie to the trail it will reveal to you who you are, whether you want to see it or not. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And I think like just the like what you just said in the last five minutes is why everyone should at least sign up for something that. I mean, I'm all about ultras, obviously. So I'm like, you should. Everyone should sign up for an ultra. Like everyone, you you don't realize until you actually go to a race, but it's like every age group, every body shape, you know, like everyone's doing these, doing this. It's not like there's, you're going to show up and everyone's like these jacked runners and like, there'll be like, you know, amazing runners there as well. But it's like regular people do these things and 
just based off of hearing what you said today, like the lessons you learn about yourself are just incredibly, it's something you take away with the rest of your time. So, yeah. And I, and I think that everybody, I, I, I heard your call to do the ultra. I think if you're a runner and you've done a marathon, you should do an ultra. Yeah. Just even if you don't do them on a regular basis, like I hardly ever, for my first year, I just did like one ultra a year. Um, cause I just like trail running. I don't really love, you know, the suffer fest, right? <laughs> but, yeah. but there is like something that happens to you in it where you go, Oh, cause I, I feel like I know I could suffer if I need to. Right. But I think the thing that I didn't realize is kind of also like kind of a reality check. Like, are you at where you, are you where you think you are or have you kind of lied to yourself here? <laughs> Right? Yeah. It's kind of like when I, I did this challenge where I gave up sugar for two weeks. And I was like, this is going to be easy. I don't eat that much sugar. It, it was ridiculous. <laughs> and then I did another one where I eat five servings of fruits and vegetables. Because I thought, I eat, definitely eat fruits and vegetables all day long. You know, it was very revealing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're like, well, I'm really good at lying to myself. Yeah. So, yeah, I always call I it. I that, yeah. I call it the clear the mirror moment, where it's like, yeah. you know how yeah. sometimes you get out of the shower and the mirror's all foggy. You know, I feel like a lot of times through life we're looking at ourselves through a foggy mirror almost, and yeah. there are every once in a while there's a moment where it just clears the mirror and you get to really truly see yourself for who you are, and you're like, oh, this is who yeah. I am. <laughs> you know. Well, I think I think some of it is we built our lives like we sort of. Uh, we're looking at ourselves through the understanding of what we have come through. So I'll say I'm allowed to be half-hearted about my goals when it comes to running because I know what I have come through, right? And what the trail, the steel, whatever sport, you know, the CrossFit, whatever, what that does is they don't care about what you've come through. They don't care about your loss. They don't care about my loss. They don't care about the way in which life has shattered us. Yeah. The temperature is what it is. The trail is what it is. The course is the same for everybody, but the, the broken and the and not broken. And it is, um, there is something absolutely like empowering and healing and uh, I don't know, just spiritual about that you want you want people you can't like when you go out in the world and you're in pain people don't know why they can't see into what you've experienced and so you'll have you know these experiences and you'll try to process them through that lens and this is the way in which I think is it, it's helpful is that you go out and all of a sudden nobody feels sorry for you anymore nobody says I get it you can just be slow because you know we wink we know what you're going through it says you signed up this is the challenge do it or don't yeah nobody you know the cutoff time doesn't care if you make it you know it is what it is and I think there's a real empowerment to just just kind of marching through your BS yeah definitely (laughs) and and i think like what you felt like that release there's a lightening of the load when you when you let go of resentment or anger or you know doubt for me 
you know, this sort of beating myself up for being crafty at a sport. Um, there's a there's a freedom and a lightness that comes, and that what follows from that is this sort of empowerment that, like, you know, I knew I was this tough physically, but now I know I'm just tough emotionally. And not only, like, in this worst day ever marathon, I'm going to have these really beautiful moments. And the same thing happens in my life when I ever I run, and this has happened every ultra race I've run since I lost my stepdaughter in 2013. I see a yellow butterfly, and I know she's with me. Yeah. I know there are definitely times where I say, I can't do this. This is who I need. And I'll ask people. I've written about people that I've never met who were lost to their loved ones. And I have a relationship with these people that is sustaining, but I don't call on them in that way until I don't have a choice. Like C.S. Lewis said, he doesn't pray out of arrogance or habit. He prays because the need drives him to his knees. And that's what I feel like ultra-learning does. It drives you to your knees. And then you find out who matters, what matters, how it matters, and how you can reorder your life to live more authentically. Yeah. That's amazing. You're incredible. And I have to say, Amy, this is definitely going to just become a full episode by itself. (laughs) And... (laughs) And it's like, I'm not even just making this up. This has been like truly one of the like best conversations, I think. I mean, I, th- I've been like, this is the one of the best ones that I've heard. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know how else to say it. <laughs> so thank oh, you. Well, well, I mean, I, and, but I, I think it's because I got to listen to yours. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So I listened to an hour and 20 minutes of your process. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that, that's the advantage, you know? Because sometimes it's like, well, what do you want to know? Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, so I just... Took me deep, you took me deep in your space. So I <laughs> and I did. I listened to it like, I just finished it like an hour before <laughs> to one o'clock today. Yeah. I've been driving around and I was looking at my, my little nephews with me. He's like, no... Why did you guys do this thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. But yeah, so thank you so much. Honestly, like I have, I started the podcast really just because I want to have, I want to hear people talk and I want to have like, listen to really interesting people talk about, you know, adventures basically. And yeah. I just feel me personally over the last hour, like I've taken away so much from what you've had to say. Um Yeah. <laughs> but I, 
I just, it just all of these little things like that. But I, I think the thing, the biggest takeaway for me besides my own personal, you know, revelations was the, what, what you got, which is you can throw a bunch of people together who maybe, maybe we don't have anything in common in any other way, but we're all trying to accomplish this thing. And I do think it was an amazing, and I felt so lucky to be with people who, I mean, you know, you said your number was seven because it's been seven years since you lost your daughter. My number was 13. I lost my daughter in 2013. Wow. And I just kept telling everyone, like, oh, 13. And I was like, I love this number. Yeah. This is the best number. Yeah. This is the best number ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, and I felt like it was lucky. And then when I DNF the second day, I was like, well, I guess it wasn't lucky. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I probably meeting Nikki or Mickey and, and walking that whatever that was 10 miles <laughs> I don't remember even how far it was maybe it was six um, that, that the miles we walked together however far they were one or 50 um, was will be was one of my favorite things of the whole week yeah I just I, and, and when I found out that he was taken to hospital I cannot tell you what a blow it was and then I don't know if you know this but he and, and Samantha they just drove into the parking lot they just came to check on us and he came to the finish line just as I came into the finish shoot yeah wow and I thought I looked over and saw him and like I felt like my chest cracking it was like so and I said I was such an uplifting thing to see him and it just took this really painful horrible moment and I just thought it's all good like we are, we are here for each other. It's good. We're yeah. okay. He's yeah. out. He's at my finish, and he said, "I was you were the only person I saw finish." <laughs> <laughs> he told me that. Yeah, he told me that. Wow. But like, how weird was that, right? So weird. So I don't. I don't. Everyone always thinks I'm weird. I don't believe in accidents. I definitely believe in karma, and I'm a huge believer in God. Although I think God is kind of hands off, and He lets us help each other out. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt so fortunate to meet everyone i love it wasn't a single person where i was like oh i hope that guy doesn't sit next to me <laughs> i know that was but the craziest I, thing just, it was the weirdest thing like every conversation it, whether it was about coffee or food or losing your child it was like it, it it added to me and to my life and to my heart and it i think i left there more capable of bravery and more capable of love because I did this race, and it sounds completely stupid to people who haven't done it. <laughs> I know. True. I know. That's what I've been trying to express, and I'm like, I know it sounds, I know it sounds so strange, but like, it truly was how everyone felt, you know. Yeah, but it's like it's like the race got inside your body, yeah. stretched that out, you know, and made it like bigger and changed it, and like, look at that, yeah. check out that, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I remember saying to my sister at one point, hey. You should check out the scenery behind you. And she just looked at me like, I hate you. Why are you telling me to look at the scenery? <laughs> and um, I can't remember who it was that told us to get, take our picture. It was, just, it was the most brutal thing. But he stayed with me, and we have, we're still friends. Yeah. And we have nothing in common, you know, but uh, other than we did this thing together. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. And, no, I've had those experiences, too, which is really neat. Yeah. So. And it, it proves to me we're not meant to suffer alone. So yeah. whatever you're suffering, 
you know, somebody wants to know. Somebody needs to hear it. And I have had people tell me stories where I thought, oh, you know, I don't know if it's a bad thing to tell the story. I don't know if this is too intrusive, um, you know, or, or whatever. Maybe only this person and I are enjoying this conversation or whatever. And then I get email after email after email saying, here's the way in which that changed my life. That so cool. changed my perspective. And so I always tell people, when you share your story, you don't know who needs to hear it. And I don't know why we're led to each other or under the circumstances we're led, but there's a reason. And, you know, and we're meant to share. We're not meant to carry stuff by ourselves. Yeah. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for for talking with me. This was this has been really cool. So, um, all right. Well, hopefully uh, everyone else finds it as interesting as you and I did, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's always the hope. <laughs> but yeah. all right, we'll uh, we'll talk to you sometime soon. Yeah, I'll be back in touch because I do want to write about that whole idea of giving your best self to people. Yeah, I would love that. That'd be so cool. And I'm sure like a lot right. of the racers would be in on that too. So. Yeah, and if you hear something that parallels that, just make a mental note, and then I, I mean, I'm going to listen to the podcast, so I'll probably hear it. But, All right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that'd yeah. be cool. Thanks, Chris. Yep, see ya. All right, that wraps up the show. Thank you so much, Amy. You are just an incredible person, and uh, I had a great time. So, <laughs> it's so funny. I had a great time suffering and sweating profusely and smelling really bad in the desert with you and uh and mikey so um <laughs> thank you and eating just like a ridiculous amount of food which you know i'm recording this outro back in august now so we're like a month and a half out from this race and you know i i just i dream of the days when i just threw could throw cheese puffs into my into my face and that was part of the training, not training, but that was part of the, uh, being successful. You know, there's not a lot of events where being successful means eating a crap load of cheese puffs and desert rats is one. So, <laughs> so I guess if you're into that, uh, you should sign up and I'll see you next year. Um, anyways, I loved that conversation so much. I thought it was so cool, uh, that she was willing to share her mindset because she's right. Like it is important to share these stories. You don't know who needs to hear it. You don't know who's going to be affected by it. You know, some of you, I mean, I, I'm sure there are podcasts that I've recorded where you're like, I'm going to skip this one. Uh, this one's not for me. And that's totally cool. That's totally awesome. And then there are probably others that you're like, wow, that really connected with me. Um, so it's, it's all about just putting putting it out there, um, sharing your story. Uh, our episode next week or in a few weeks from now, there will be another. That's another part of the theme that comes up is sharing one of our guests by sharing his story helped someone else be successful in their career. And it's it's so cool. It's such a such a wonderful kind of like superpower that we have, which is which is neat. Um, real quick, I just want to share a quick I want to share a quick story. Um Yesterday, I went on my last kind of big summer adventure uh, before school starts for me. And um, my wife was, you know, she's been so awesome just being like, yeah, go on adventures. I'm like, good, dude. All I want to do is feel like Indiana Jones for a few hours. So thank you for that wonderful gift, Lynn's the gift of feeling like Indiana Jones. But uh, <laughs> anyways, I realized like I live 
an hour and a half from Rocky Mountain National Park. And I haven't done a lot up there. You know, we've driven up there. We've had picnics. Uh, it's beautiful. Like, I mean, it's a gym. It's one of the gyms in the United States. Uh, so, you know, we've had picnics. We've looked for elk, uh, driven Trail Ridge Road a couple times, which is terrifying. Um, but I haven't done a lot of hiking. Uh, I think the only hike I've ever done, I, <laughs> I think I've hiked it like four times, but uh, gone up to Cub Lake. And I did that when I was in high school you know i did that with my wife Lindsay, in college and then um hiked up there with my mom a couple years ago but for whatever reason that's the only hike i've ever attempted out in rocky mountain so i was like okay last big adventure i'm gonna head up to rocky mountain i'm gonna find some trails i've never done i'm just gonna check them out and right now in my office i'm looking at it i have this giant map of the colorado front range and i'm slowly marking off trails so i'm like i'm gonna get some of these trails marked off so any anyways i had this plan i was gonna do a 10 mile hike uh to sky pond um which is i i'm in love with high alpine lakes this summer they are incredible this i mean they just make for amazing pictures amazing scenery uh, so anyways, I head up, I go up to sky pond. You have to, at one point, it's a pretty like easy hike, easy run for the most part. Um, I, at one point I rounded the corner during this amazing sunrise and I scared, mutually scared the crap out of an elk and the elk scared me as well. Um, so that was awesome, dude. Any day you can see an elk's a good day in my opinion. Uh, but I get up to sky pond, you have to climb a waterfall at one point. So that's the only thing. If you want to do this hike, um, just understand for the most part, it's a pretty easy trail. Um, once you get to the point where you go up to Glass Lake and Sky Pond, they're right next to each other, uh, you do have to do a bit of a scramble, really short sh scramble, but it could be a bit intimidating and the rocks are a bit wet because it is essentially climbing a waterfall. Um, and so I got there. I messed around Sky Pond for like an hour, kind of bouldered around. Uh, it was awesome. But when I'm there, I had this crazy realization because I look up and there's this tiny spire, like the skinniest of each of these. I'm sure they have a name, but each of these, like all I can think of is spire, right? There are these really pointy rock formations, like way high up. And on this spire, I, I heard, I hear someone yelling something and I'm like, Oh man, where are they at? And I looked for like 30 minutes. And I could not see anybody. I'm like, is someone climbing up there? And finally, I see these two guys on the skinniest spire I could imagine. And they're rock climbing it. And the lead climber is going up. And the other guy's belaying him and waiting his turn to go up. And I just thought to myself, I'm like, dude, that right there looks impossible to me. Like for me to imagine myself doing that seems impossible. Um, and so I have that, I have that realization and then I start running down the trail and I'm passing people and I eventually added another <laughs> like seven miles, which was, uh, actually might've been 10 miles cause I ended up doing 20 miles total, but I added another bit. I went down a different trail cause I'm like, I got to mark more of this map off. 
um which is funny what a dumb like extrinsic reward that is but it really is and i'm like i got a map you know get more of this map marked off so i go up to this place called frozen lake and the last mile of that almost broke my spirit where I'm going up and I'm like, I'm going to eat at frozen lake. So I hadn't really eaten anything all morning and I'd been running for like four hours and I'm like, okay, running slash hiking. And I finally got up there and I'm feeling terrible. Like altitude sickness is kicking in cause it's pretty high up. Uh, I'm eating, but like, you know, it takes a while for you to digest it and get all those benefits of food. <laughs> um, and so Anyways, I do that and I start running back down the trail and I'm, you know, you don't see anybody. I mean, you see people here and there because it's Rocky Mountain National Park in August. So it's fairly busy, but you don't see a lot of people until you're about a mile from the trailhead. So I get back a mile from the trailhead and I'm running down the trail and like no one knows what I just did. Like I'm not in a race. I'm not. I'm completely by myself. Like I forced suffering on myself by adding an extra 10 miles, you know? Um, and so I'm passing all these people as they're walking up and I hear the joke a couple times of like, there's not a bear chasing you, is there? And which is hilarious. Uh, I should have been like, yeah, there is one. Can you take, <laughs> uh, John Graham, who, uh, was one of our aid station workers. I was messaging him last night a little bit about this experience. And, uh, he was like, you should have been like, yeah, there is a bear chasing me. Uh, can you take a selfie <laughs> with me? Or can you help me take a picture with it? Um, he thought that would really confuse him. But anyway, so this is the realization. The whole point I'm telling any of this story is because I'm sure to some of the people hiking, you know, because a lot of people are on vacation. They're not necessarily from the mountains or whatever. And I'm sure to them, what I was doing looked impossible. And to me, what the rock climbers were doing looked impossible. And, and I'm just saying this, like, here's the idea. There's always going to be something bigger and better and seemingly impossible. But you have to understand that if you just put the consistent effort in, anyone can achieve anything. Like I'm sure if I actually decided I was going to focus on rock climbing for a few years, like I could be doing that spire and wetting myself because that looked terrifying. But, you know, I'm sure that could happen. And I'm sure if the people I saw on the trail were like, I'm going to start trail running, they could do it. They could do it too. Um, anything that seems impossible, there's always going to be bigger and badder. But like these are just regular folks, regular people doing these things and you can do them too. Uh, you just got to put in the consistent effort and the consistent focus mostly. Um, and you can accomplish whatever you set your mind out to, you know, for me, like I, I'm not a rock climber. Like that doesn't look super appealing to me at this point in my life. Um, so I'm not going to pursue it. And, you know, if people didn't want to trail run, that's cool too. Like, you know, but go after whatever you want to. Go after the thing that you've dreamed about doing. Uh, go out If you see something on TV or on social media and you're like, you can kind of choose to go one way. You could get jealous about it and be like, oh, I'll never do that. Or that's ridiculous. They're going to hurt themselves or whatever. Or you can be inspired by it. And you can use that as motivation to do, accomplish whatever you are dreaming of accomplishing. So um, 
kind of lesson I took away there. And I decided I'd share it at an hour and 35 minutes into this podcast because <laughs> uh, it's so weird like doing being like, I'm going to share a lesson in the outro that I think everyone should hear when I know a lot of people probably uh, skip out on the outro. But uh, if you're still listening, I hope you can take that take away what I took away yesterday. Um, it was incredibly motivating, incredibly inspirational and just a great reminder of of that something that's simple that you sh- we all should know but we need to be reminded about um on a constant consistent basis so all right guys uh we'll get back at you next week next week we are sharing the final desert rats episode of this year anyways um i'm gonna share stories from fellow racers or more stories from different racers uh who competed in the event um share a little bit from our from the guy I was talking about john who's uh one of our aid station workers. So, uh, I really hope you guys enjoy it. It's an excellent episode. Uh, I have to put, I got all the clips recorded and now I got to do the hard job of editing them, talking about each one, uh, all that stuff. Uh, but we got a lot of really cool shows coming up. I've recorded a bunch in preparation for school to start. And so we got a whole bunch of stuff. Like I said, there's not one single focus, uh, no sport that's a single focus but really the focus is about the journey the adventure um and some of the lessons we can learn from these stories so all right we'll get back at you guys next week see ya